Welcome to the Mom Docs Podcast. We are three chiropractors on a mission to empower moms to intentionally choose health for their kids and their families, to provide core principles to raise their families holistically, and to help parents take an active role in their family's health. So our goal is to provide families with a philosophical approach to healthcare that steps away from the conventional and supports true health. So I'm Dr. Natalie Jean Forte um, here in Minnetonka, Minnesota. I've been a chiropractor for nine years now. And I practice with my husband. I also have three kids who are six, five and two and a half. I'm Dr. Erin Sousley. I've been in practice almost 10 years and I live in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. My husband and I um, are in practice together, both chiropractors, and we have four kids um, all under the age of nine. And I'm Dr. Sarah Lasby. I practice in Columbia, South Carolina. I've been a chiropractor now practicing for going on 10 years. I've got three little ones at home, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and an almost three-year-old. And um, the way that we've done practice since the beginning is it's all about moms and all about babies and all about raising healthy families. So, Awesome. So awesome. And when, um, you know, when it comes to raising healthy children and healthy families, I know, you know, we all know like nutrition plays such a huge role. And, you know, when you think about our bodies, we're, you know, specifically those of kids, like they need proper nutrients to grow and develop optimally to stay healthy and strong. Um, you know, some of the, I know all of us, like some of the most common questions we get in our clinics are things like, you know, what should my baby's first food be? Or how can I get my kids to eat healthy? I don't know if you guys hear that one, but that one's probably my most common that I hear is like, my kids don't like vegetables. How am I ever going to get them to eat healthy? So we're excited. Like we really want to break this down for you guys. Um, we're going to be breaking it down by age groups. So today and in future episodes, just to equip you with the knowledge of, you know, what do your kids need, especially when it comes to nutrition and supplementation but what I'm even more excited about um, that I think will be really beneficial for all of you listening is that we're moms ourselves. Like we want to share our experiences, just going through this journey with our own kids and give you guys some of the tips and tricks that we've learned along the way to make the journey more successful. And um, along with just how we've helped thousands of families in our, in our own clinics improve their nutrition. I know between our three clinics just alone, we've had countless kids, you know, heal from things like acid reflux and eczema, even things like digestive problems, behavioral issues like ADD, ADHD, honestly, like the list goes on. And all of that comes from oftentimes just simple nutritional or supplemental changes that lead, that lead to those improvements. So I love the perspective too, that there's all of the concepts for nutrition and all of the books that we can read. And it's funny to kind of go full circle in this journey of, we had studied nutrition, we went to school, we were doctors, we kind of knew the right things to say and what we would tell our patients to do. But it becomes very different when you have your own children, you know, protesting, eating broccoli, and you're, and you're in a standoff with your own kids. So I love this, the idea of combining, okay, here's scientifically and physiologically the nutrients that a child needs, but then here's also the real life application. As moms, how do we help create healthy relationships for our children with the way that they, you know, experience nutrition and experience food? When 
we just got into practice. It was like super simple for me to just say, Hey, you know, your kids need to be eating X, Y, and Z to my patients. And then I had one baby who ended up being like a dream, like eater. She loved green juice from like 12 months old and loved to eat broccoli and loved vegetables. And then we had my son a few years later who like, if you even put one leaf of salad on his plate, he screams and like only wants to eat mac and cheese and pizza. And these are things that we have like once or twice a month. (laughs) So he's like screaming at me. And so I've definitely been there. Like it's, it is definitely like a process and a journey and you have to kind of try different things. And that's why I love that we're doing this podcast because I've learned so much from both of you just about, you know, how do I get my own kids to eat what they're supposed to eat, (laughs) you know, because nothing's working with this one child, you know, what do you do? So that's why I'm really thankful for both of you. Well, and I think too, it starts with us, like as a mom or as a parent, whenever you are listening to this, it starts with you having a good healthy relationship and a good um, value for putting quality nutrients into your own body. It's one thing to uh, say here, you have to eat your fruits and vegetables to your children, but then you turn your back and you're not doing the same thing. So I think empowering us to understand that us putting nutrient dense foods into our bodies, that's where it starts. And your kids might boycott and they might say no, and it might be months and months and months in a bottle to introduce a new food to them, but they're watching you and they're observing. So as much as we're going to talk about the age range of zero to two today, I also really want to encourage that this applies to you as a mom. And, and, and I say that to myself, too. It applies to me as well. Um, these same concepts of healthy relationships with food, valuing nutrient density over convenience, um, and starting by understanding that our, our kids' first relationship with food, with food will be through their observation of us as their parents. That's really good. That's a, that's a huge point. And I feel like um, like life gets busy. Like I remember also like being in practice before I had kids like telling moms, well, like feed them this, do this. And like so often, like life gets busy, especially when you have toddlers and toddlers and you're not sleeping at night. And it's super easy to like fall into what is easy and what is convenient and what's a faster snack to just throw them when you're driving in the car because they're screaming at you that they want a snack, you know? Um, so I think a huge thing to think about is like, if it's something that you value, right? Like I know we all value raising healthy kids and you intrinsically want that as a mom. Like I think the other, um, you know, gap that we want to bridge is how do you make that happen in real life? You know, as you're saying, and as we dive into this, I do want to preframe it because I know that it can cultivate some guilt. If you start hearing about what other people are doing, I've even felt that myself, you know, thinking that I was feeding my kids well. And then the more, more you learn and the more you hear from other parents, the last thing that we want you to feel like whatever habits you've you know fallen into, do not walk away from this, you know, today feeling guilty about what, where you're at. Like the hope is that we're encouraging you or inspiring you, giving you some specific tip that you can apply, you know, to your own family's life, um, just to make it better. Like it is a journey, recognize that. And the goal is that we're helping wherever you're at, helping you move forward, you know, in the right direction. So what's great is as parents, like we have the opportunity to lay a good foundation, um, and really just help our kids create good habits. And that really starts, it starts from day one. So let's dive into it. Um, looking at ages zero to one, 
and nutrition, where would you guys like to start? Yeah. I mean, it all starts, I think during pregnancy, you know, there's plenty of research out there that, you know, talks about the correlation between what the mom eats during pregnancy and, you know, the, the eating habits of the baby and the baby that becomes a child, you know, years later. Um, and, you know, it, it's very important that you're focusing on your nutrition even before you conceive. So I think, you know, for those of us that didn't have the luxury of, you know, knowing that information when, you know, when they were pregnant, you know, it definitely starts um, with making sure you're breastfeeding. If, if you can, there are, there are so many women that struggle with this and this is such a sensitive topic. So I want to be sensitive to that. Um, I feel like this is becoming more and more of a struggle. Um, but if you can breastfeed, you know, this is the, this is like liquid gold for the baby. And, um, you know, even if your nutrition wasn't stellar during pregnancy, this is the very best thing that your baby can be getting from you after birth. Um, so do you guys want to kind of go into that? I know Sarah, you kind of, you had one baby that, you know, you had an issue with breastfeeding. So I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, to your point, it is, I think we breast, the topic of breastfeeding is almost too taboo, like, cause we don't want to offend people, but I do think it's important for women to understand this is very, this is very important for your child. So if you're able to do it, I have an acquaintance who said like, you know, I just decided I didn't want to, to breastfeed. It just felt too inconvenient. And it was like, well, this isn't about you. This is about your baby. And there was no other reason beyond just convenience that she was making that decision. And I feel like if we can get more quality content to moms about the importance of breastfeeding for their child, then hopefully in those cases where it was, hey, I just prefer not to, you would, we could get more moms to understand, well, put set preferences aside here. This is about what is best for your baby. But I, we do have to uh, remain have a level of sensitivity to breastfeeding, and um, because I had I had personal experience with this, um, working full time, young new in, in practice, and not having other doctors working with me, and not having a great support system. Had my first baby, went right back to work, and figured it would just all be well and good. I'll just pump every two three hours, no big deal. But I was very naive and understanding how important. Um, keeping up with that every two to three hours schedule was, and my supply really quickly diminished to the point where I had to start looking at, okay, do I need to supplement? Do we need to switch to formula here? Um, and I wound, because I knew the importance of breast milk. Um, actually, I think Natalie, I think Levi had some of your breast milk at one, at one point. Um, <laughs> I there. Yeah, my sister from Wisconsin was shipping milk down. Um, and then we did do some uh, goat milk formula, homemade formula as well. And it was like, hey, if, if I have access to breast milk, I know that that is what's best. That is the perfect food. That's God's perfect design and food. So even if it couldn't come from me, get it from family members, get it from other people that I was able to trust. So I knew that I could at least give that baseline um, foundation of nutritionally for his growing brain, growing cells, growing body. That's huge. And I often hear from women, as you mentioned, like it is, it, it sometimes isn't easy to breastfeed, especially I, I feel like a very common time frame for women to give up on breastfeeding is like right out of the gate. And I know I struggled that with our first, like you're 
your body isn't used to breastfeeding a baby, you know, right away. And it can be painful. Um, so some tips right away, I know as, as soon as that becomes painful and is, you know, if a mom is struggling right away, I think that's a very common time for them to say, this isn't going to work. This isn't for me. And I want to give just a few tips. There is number one, like work with a lactation consultant, work with a chiropractor and that if the baby's latch is not good, if, if their mouth isn't able to open wide enough and suck well, um, there's things that you can do about that. There is help that you can get. So number one, like getting your baby adjusted helps their latch at the beginning. And in, in addition from their cranial sacral is, is a really uh, another option that can be really helpful to make sure that um, you and your baby have a good experience right out of the gate. I think a lot of women don't, and when they make that decision to just kind of give up and it's like not convenient or like, you know, they have to go back to work and pumping is just like really hard to, to fit in. And, um, I think it's just understanding what that, what that milk and that process is doing for the baby, because I mean, we've even learned so much over the last five to 10 years, just how critical it is for babies' immune systems to be getting milk, you know, for at least, you know, two years. And I even, you know, just recently in a functional medicine course was learning about how there are receptors um, on the mother's breast that can actually detect what the baby might be fighting, it, you know, if it's a virus or like an infection of some kind. And then that will alert the mother's body to change like the composition of the breast milk so that, you know, the baby can get everything that it needs. And to me, that was just mind blowing. Like our, the immune system is developing so rapidly over the first few years of life. And so if we can make sure and give it exactly what it needs, it's really setting them up long-term, you know, for that optimal immune function. And I feel like just having the topic of immune system health is at the forefront, just with everything that's going on with COVID. And even though, you know, children seem to be doing for the most part, just fine with this virus, you know, it's not just, it's not just COVID, but it's everything. And then we start talking about, well, you know, immunizations and, you know, are those beneficial or can they hinder? And so that's a whole nother topic that we will get into on another episode, but just to really hit home how critical it is um, to, to breastfeed as long as you can, you know, again, I want to be sensitive to that, but there are some great alternatives, you know, like the milk bank, or if you have a friend that, can send you milk, you know, that's, that's so huge. Something that blows, um, you know, blows me away. Like, as you say, like the body is just so amazing. And, you know, when you think about it, trying to, trying to live as naturally as possible and do things that the way that we were created to do them, um, not only makes a difference for your baby in the short term, but also the long term. like looking at the research, there is tons of, you know, increasing numbers of studies that, that directly show the association between breastfeeding and long-term protection against even things like chronic, you know, diseases. So, um, protecting yourself from um, being overweight, being obese for for the mom and the child, you know, has has been shown like decreased. Um, if, if your baby's breastfed, um, it, it decreases their chance of things like diabetes and hypertension. Um, you know, even some types of cancer um, because of how it affects their immune system from a young age. So, very important to just be a you know be aware of. Um, the long-term effects that just starting your child outright uh, and breastfeeding can actually end up having on their long-term health also. couple tips for moms while breastfeeding, simple things. If you're struggling with supply, I've found that it's 
sometimes just a, a literally a lack of hydration. Um, that's typically the first thing I go to when moms are struggling with supply is how much water are you drinking? My, my rule of thumb is 12 to 20 ounces every time you nurse. So wow. just as like a, just a, just go start there before you start looking up. Do I need to take certain supplements? Do I need to drink certain teas? Do I need to eat certain cookies? All those things can also be beneficial, but sometimes it's just simply making sure that you're properly hydrated. Um, second thing that I add in for nursing moms um, to just know, hey, I'm giving the most nutrient dense breast milk to my baby that I can is making sure that you have a diet that's really high in healthy fat like full, full saturated healthy fats. So um, nuts and egg yolks and um, good healthy oils, avocado oils, seeds, um, all things that will just boost your fat content for you nutritionally. And you'll notice that that will get through to baby. Um, when I nurse, I do, I typically keep grains really limited in my diet, but when I'm nursing, I found that it does affect my supplies. So adding in something like steel cut oats in the morning or a good sprouted grain, um, ancient grain bread, those can also be little things, but first things first, making sure that you're properly hydrated will really help your, your milk supply. So maybe we should talk about, you know, what, at what age is it good to start transitioning into food? Um, you know, at what age do we want to wean? And I think that, I mean, that's a huge topic. I get moms that ask me all the time, like, what should I start soon? So do you guys kind of want to jump in and just talk about your experience with that? Yeah, I'll give my, I'll give my rule or the guidance that I give and my rule of thumb for when I will start introducing foods to my children. Um, because you can read and ask five pediatricians and you'll probably get five different answers. You can find all different uh, opinions on this on the internet and in books. So here's my rule of thumb that just makes the most sense to me is I don't introduce foods and we'll talk about what foods that, cause that's a whole nother topic, but I don't introduce foods until um, my babies can sit um, without any help. So they can, they are able to sit up and they can reach and grab and do things, but they are able to sit unassisted. And I, so that's number one. And then number two is that I wait until they're, so I, he, you know, he or she doesn't need a full mouth of teeth, but I wait until there's evidence of a tooth that has popped through because to me, that would make sense biologically. They can sit on their own and they have teeth. That shows me there's readiness. There's physiological readiness for food. And for some babies that happens much sooner than other babies, all my kids, it was around 10 months. Um, they really weren't swallowing any foods until closer to a year, but at that 10 month mark, when they're sitting and they have a tooth coming through, that's when we start introducing and exposing them to different foods that they could reach, grab out and put in their mouth if they wanted to. That's good. That is good. And one thing that once we jumped into, you know, baby's first food, I, I was the same way. It made sense for the child to have teeth and um, to be able to have that like swallowing, um, like their tongue um, moving back and forth, like that actual like, you know, swallowing reflex also is super important. Um, but looking at what to feed them first, I know is a really common question that I get. And there's a lot of different resources out there. But what made sense, you know, for me is when you look at what is 
breast milk made up of. It's mostly made up of fat and then, you know, other, you know, like proteins and other vitamins and, and whatever else. But, um, so it made sense to like start our kids off with foods that were, were also high in fat, high in like healthy fats, um, and protein. So we started with avocado and we did avocado just solely, you know, mixed maybe a little bit with breast milk. Um, so it was nice and soft and smooth, but that was our baby's, um, our baby's first food along with soft boiled, um, egg yolks. Purees for me was, I, I did that with my first kiddo and then I, and I started her pretty early and I noticed that she would get like skin reactions. Um, and so with my other kids, I waited longer, you know, as you said, like all those kind of criteria that you wait for making sure that they're um, you know, sitting up and having teeth, but also like I started to just do, I wanted to make sure they could chew their food a little bit just to, you know, not just immediately swallowing it, you know, the way they do with breast milk. So we would, we'd chop up avocado, we'd chop up, um, little pieces of cucumber and, uh, just to, you know, give them that, that, um, ability to digest in the mouth because it starts there and making sure that, you know, that they're, um, saliva is helping to break things down. And I noticed a lot less skin issues in the babies, in my babies, when I, when I let them do it that way versus like the pureed stuff. So I don't know if you guys have experience with that, but again, like I've noticed really just sticking to those high, high fat foods, you know, coconut oil. I know you guys have done like bone broth too. And, and just making sure that I'm mixing in my own breast milk with the food if, if it is pureed. Um, I found that they can really digest that and just assimilate the nutrients a lot more easily. Yeah, that's great. And adding, um, I know when I made pureed foods, um, I would always, you know, what other, you know, if it was like sweet potatoes, um, taking, um, like cooking it. And then when I would like puree it, I would add in coconut oil or I would make, you know, the homemade bone broth and add that to it. So I would make a batch of bone broth. I would freeze it in ice cube trays. And then, you know, whenever I was making, making their like pureed food, I would just add in a cube or two of like the bone broth. And I know that like the good fats and the proteins, um, especially the good fat helps their bodies digest like the vegetables early on also. And that can be a lot easier on their stomachs too. I also think that this is another reminder that if you're eating good whole foods yourself, it's really easy to feed your, your children. Because if I'm sitting there eating eggs in the morning, I can, that's a great first food for a baby. So I can give them bites of my food and I don't have to like make the, here's what you eat. And then here's what I eat. If you're eating like, you know, vegetables with dinner and good, clean proteins, like you can just chop those up, hand them to baby. Like it's, it really becomes very simple when it's the whole family and a true lifestyle. You're yeah. really evaluating your nutrition and the density and the quality of your nutrition for just the strict convenience of this is just going to make introducing food so much easier to my children. I love that. I, yeah. for our first child, it was like, I got everything you needed. Like I made all like, okay, we're going to start feeding the baby food. So let's make all these purees and like 
have them in the freezer organized and pull out a green one and a, uh, you know, orange one for lunch. And our second child, like never, she like ate baby food for a week because that's exactly what happened. You know, we were eating clean foods and it's like by the second baby, our first two kids were only 13 months apart. So I, I felt like I had two babies at once. Baby food. She literally went to eating like tiny chunks of like the cut up zucchini that we were having for dinner that was cooked in coconut oil. You know, like, like you're saying, like the small chunks of ground meat that was, you know, grass fed organic meat that we were eating for dinner, that it's like, that was her meal. And to be honest, that was so much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think it's, it is important just like it is important to breastfeed. You know, it's really important because you're setting the stage for their gut health when you start introducing foods. And so I think with babies, probably the most important thing, again, like making sure that you're setting the example, but also, you know, just making sure that that food is organic whenever possible, because this is when they can start being exposed to uh, pesticides, herbicides, you know, all these chemicals that can actually do really long-term damage um, to their gut health, which then spills over into immune system function and all these other issues that can come up. So, um, just being aware of the foods that you're giving them, you know, instead of like being militant about, oh, we should start with cauliflower instead of broccoli or, you know, all these little rules, I would just say like, just start with that clean, make sure it's organic wherever possible, you know, homegrown if possible would be the, probably the very best. Um, but then, you know, getting it store-bought organic, following the environmental working groups, you know, clean 15, dirty dozen list. Um, just to make sure that we're limiting their exposure to those toxic chemicals that can get on food. And it really, like, when you look at buying baby food, one, it's expensive. Like, it's yeah. just so much easier and cheaper to do it on your own. But then, like, because I've looked even when traveling, it's like, well, maybe I could just, like, go to Whole Foods and I'll just get a really clean baby food. It'll just make my life easier and more convenient for, you know, that short term. But then you sit and look and it's like, and it does. It only has a handful of ingredients in it. But then I think to myself, like, if it really just only has sweet potatoes in it, how can it sit on this grocery store shelf unrefrigerated for six months or a year? How, like how, the, like, and when I had that thought, it was like, okay, like there, there's something else going on here. So it really is just simplest, safest, and easiest to just take whole foods that you already have in your home and that you hopefully are already feeding yourself and just get those right to baby. That's really good. That's awesome. I wanted to comment just on um, like nutrient density of their food. Like I know that's something that we all focused on right away is like real, as you're saying, homegrown, like nutrient dense food that's going to give them everything that they need to keep growing um, and developing. And I know a common thing that I often get asked is like, well, what are your thoughts on rice cereal? Have you guys ever had people ask you that? And yeah. I know I, I looked into it a little bit more um, because I know it's a, an age old thing of like, well, when are you going to start your kid on rice cereal? That should be their first food. And I know that um, where I think a lot of that stemmed from is, you know, give your baby a little bit of rice cereal and they're going to sleep through the night. You know, it's going to yeah. help top them off and like help them sleep better. So when we're like, it's good for us. Right. But like at the end of the day, that's not what's best for our baby. Like we don't want to be giving them added starchy food at the end of their day, just so that they, you know, stay full and sleep longer. We want to be providing them the nutrients they need throughout the night if they need to wake up and, and eat if needed. So, um, you know, giving your kids a, a good nutrient dense meal in the evening and then, you know, topping that off with milk before they go to breast milk, before they go to bed is awesome. 
Um, so I know that rice cereal has been, has been introduced and is a common thing. Um, it is like gluten-free, so it's supposedly like easy for them to digest, but I'm like, we chose not to do it because there's also been shown to be high levels of arsenic, you know, due to the conventional farming in the soil. Mm -hmm. There's really not a lot of nutrient value to the white rice that it's often made from. And that's why a lot of companies, they'll fortify it with iron and other like synthetic vitamins. So it just, in our minds, the way that we live and the way that we want to raise our kids, it just never made sense to do that. It made sense to start them all on foods that have high fats, high proteins, and a lot of um, nutrient density to them. Yeah. When you look at the, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Erin. Well, I was just going to say, you know, like, I think a lot of women too, when they're starting out, they kind of want to know, okay, well, once I get my kid on food, you know, how much longer should I breastfeed? And I know like the American Academy of Pediatrics has their recommendation, but what do you, what do you ladies typically tell patients? Like how long should they be breastfeeding once their kids start food? I'm, I'm of the belief system that your baby will be done breastfeeding when your baby's done breastfeeding. So you will keep offering and it is a very natural and organic transition to, and, and I, and I get it because I only successfully did this with one of my children. So like she, she was a great nurser and we introduced foods and slowly over time, she just, her nursing sessions got shorter and shorter and more spread out. And then it was just, you know, once in the evening before bed. And then that one just kind of went away too. Uh, my other two, you know, one, I had a supply issue. And then um, my other, my third child, my son just stopped nursing at 10 months, just completely would not latch, have anything to do with me. And I still knew that breast milk was important for him. So I went into a season of life, which I will wish upon no one of pumping every hour and a half to be able to keep my supply up, be able to continue to give him breast milk through his first two years of life. So I get that, like, there's the ideal, but the ideal is it will happen very naturally, very organically. You don't need to worry about your baby being 18 years old and still sleeping with you and nursing for the night. Like, it doesn't happen. And so when your mom tells you, why are you still nursing that two-year-old? They should be done by now. Aren't you worried about like, listen, it's a very natural process and their body is they're ready emotionally and physiologically. They're, we can trust their innate responses here and their coping mechanisms to understand, okay, I, I'm getting the nutrients that I need elsewhere and now, and I'm feeling safe and now it's an okay time for me to naturally transition out of breastfeeding. I agree. And I, I am totally on board with that and agree with all of that. It's like baby led weaning, you know, like unfortunately I feel like when it comes to parenting, we've all learned this, like there's no perfect schedule. And even if someone lays out a perfect schedule, it ends up, your baby ends up not following it. You know, for me, I wanted to breastfeed our first one, you know, for two years. And then I got pregnant after four months and my supply <laughs> dropped and that first baby, you know, same thing, like, okay, what are the next alternatives, you know, keep, keep, um, you know, breastfeeding as long as possible. And then, um, you know, you'll figure it out and naturally it'll happen and not forcing it one way or the other, I think is, is important. And just trusting your intuition, you know, for us, it was as soon as our babies were eating more, as they started to naturally eat more, then they started to naturally drink less milk and, you know, breastfeed less. And then they weren't waking up as much in the middle of the night because they were actually having dinner. And then as that happened, my supply, your supply starts to kind of slowly wean off. And then the baby starts weaning off too, until there was, you know, maybe two like breastfeeding in the morning at night, you know, and that was, you know, morning when they woke up and nighttime before they went to bed, I know that's how 
the, my other two ended up just kind of slowly weaning off, um, until they were just eating, you know, three meals. Um, you said two, Sarah. Yeah. When you look at this age range of zero to two, I think the majority of the nutrient of nutrition for that age group is going to be breast milk, you know, or, or a milk alternative a formula, but that zero to two, like that is the majority of what they're going to be. You're going to be looking at for your child. Um, one year old, it, you know, let's just say as a general guideline, that's where you start to introduce food. So from that one year old to that two year old, there's still milk, you know, there's still hopefully breast milk. Um, but that's when you start adding in. And I think if we just looked at it as a, just a generic theme, you would be adding in good sources of healthy fats, clean, organically raised proteins and, and vegetables and fruits, organic fruits and vegetables. And just like as a general guideline in that zero to two, that's going to cover your bases. You don't need to look at adding grains, um, anything. Dairy, we don't really do any dairy either in that, in that time range. Um, but that zero to two is milk. And it's good, healthy fats, good, healthy proteins, and good, clean sources of fruits and vegetables. And you're covered. And it really can be as simple as that. Okay. Absolutely. That's good. Let's talk about as we, you know, before we wrap this up, let's talk just for a few seconds on just supplements. I know that's a common question, especially in this age, you know, um, age range. Let's talk about like, what would you guys suggest? I know right away um, for me, for moms, you know, while they're breastfeeding, you know, their baby's getting um, their vitamins and, and everything through the breast milk. So I know something that I always recommend that moms are on when they are breastfeeding is absolutely like just like a general, like a good whole food, multivitamin, also um, good fats. So taking an omega supplement and then definitely taking a vitamin D supplement are kind of the main, I would say the core supplements that we, you know, would say, you know, breastfeeding moms should take. Is there anything in addition to that that you guys would recommend and or um, even for the child itself? I think, yeah, everything you said is great. Um, for some babies that might have like um, I don't know, colic or just like their bowel movements aren't happening on a regular basis. I've found a really good success with certain uh, infant probiotics. So that's one that um, might be necessary for baby uh, just to help, you know, especially if they're born like a C-section or if there was, you know, any sort of like trauma there, they uh, might not have received all the healthy bacteria from mom during the birth process. And so that's when we can kind of see some issues develop. So there are some really great, uh, infant probiotics and it's just like drop like a liquid that, um, you can mix with milk. Um, but I've seen really good success, you know, when my own kids have had bouts of constipation, you know, when we combine that with chiropractic care, just to really nourish the gut. Uh, so that's a really good one. Um, as they get to be a little bit older, you can do the, the chewable multivitamins for the baby or for, for the toddler, um, or, you know, they have like liquid stuff out there. That's really good. I think the biggest thing to watch out for, for parents is, um, like just prime example, Flintstone vitamins, they might taste good. You know, you get your kid to take a vitamin, but then you flip over the label and you can see, um, there's a lot of filler junk in there, sometimes even sweeteners or even sugar, uh, that can really actually adversely impact the immune system. So it's obviously like, something that you'd be better off not giving them. Um, so, you know, just watch out, just know how to read labels when it comes to your vitamins that you're giving your kids. 
All right. So thanks for joining us today on the Mom Docs podcast. If you enjoyed this um, and, and listening to this show, um, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share with others. Leave us a review on iTunes. And by subscribing to our podcast, you'll never miss an episode. So thanks for being here. And we look forward to seeing you next time.